0: Good morning. My name is Peret Siegel. uh, I've come here to teach you a couple of classes on how to teach Beginners Gomorrah. The reason why, perhaps, I'll try to speak louder for the meantime. Can you hear me at the back? Yes, uh, I'd prefer to speak loud if you, if, you, if you feel that it's not working, so then I'll, I'll <laughs> mic it up. What I want to do is I want to present a class on conveying basic teaching skills to you, so that when you're encountering for the first time beginners in Gomorrah, you're going to have a guideline of how to do it. Um, in terms of my own experience, what I've been doing for the last 15 years is teaching Beginners Gomorrah, which even if it doesn't make me uh, skilled, at least it makes me experienced. Uh, over the, the years, what I've found is there are certain things which if you know them, they are extremely effective you can apply them very easily they're not hard to grasp if you don't know them you can flounder terribly and you can take an experience which could potentially change a person's life in connecting him to Gemara and turn him off completely you want to avoid that at all costs because I would like to present why learning Gomorrah is not only a nice thing to have part of a kira program, but it could actually be the icker thing that you're trying to achieve when you are going out there and trying to be a kira of a person. So let's begin with that particular problem. I'm about to give you, and you we're we're out there in the field, and you go to a person, you say to him, "Hi." You Jewish? He says, yes. You say, come, let's go learn some Talmud. And he says, tell me, um, what does Talmud discuss? <laughs> He's like, Talmud, Talmud discusses when you, you've got an ox and then you've got a cow. Now the ox comes and the gore, and the cow's pregnant. And then the, the guy says, uh, <laughs> sorry, but Rabbi, I, I just have to go and have some coffee and watch Seinfeld because I couldn't care less about a shore goring a para. He doesn't use those words so the problem first of all with Gomorrah is the subject matter isn't that interesting to your average secular person that's sitting at a bar drinking beer secondly so eventually you get over the st- subject matter you convince him you say do you know what oxen geschmack it's like a rodeo go for it there's blood this is so fine I'll go for it I'll what language is in rabbi you say um <laughs> uh, Uh, Is it Hebrew? Because I know a little bit of Hebrew You go, well, almost It's actually a highly complex mixture of Hebrew and Aramaic He goes, oh Well, then maybe I will go to the bar So then eventually you say to him No, the truth is it's, it's culturally diverse And after all, I mean, Aramaic They speak it Nowhere. So w- maybe we'll, um, you get over that and finally, so you've got over the barrier of the subject matter. You've got over the barrier of the, lo- the logic, of the language. And now you say to him, tell me, in terms of the actual structure of the thing, um, do you need to be really thinking to be able to follow the steps? So you say, <laughs> well, the truth is, it's probably the most highly complex piece of logical analysis you could come across. So at that point in time, you're probably going to have very little chance of getting the guy into the room to learn Gamora with you. The three obstacles. Subject matter isn't intuitive, isn't intrinsically interesting. The language is foreign and the logic is hard to follow and comprehend put a little bit of an obstacle between you and the person that you're trying to teach Gemara. we have to overcome that obstacle so that not only does a person agree reluctantly to come and learn a shtickle gumo with you but he actually jumps at the opportunity how do you do that? good? you see the challenge? yes? you hear the imperative now why is it imperative? Stum. so if this tucker is so complicated And why do we take this poor Nebach who's never learned Hebrew in his life and force him to understand what a Heikidami is? Let him be. Give him a nice geshmakeshir and mechta meliyahu, and let the guy live a happy Jewish life with lots of Ashkofa. Why is it intrinsically important that you have to teach him Gomorrah? So I think there are three reasons. The first reason is that what you're trying to do when you're Makai of a person is you're trying to bring them closer to Torah, close to the Ribanish Olam. In order for you to do that, the person themselves has to take some responsibility for his involvement. The degree to which I'm a passive participant, which we'll discuss later in a process, is the degree to which my essential self is left outside and a little bit of my intellectual being creeps inside. If you want to get the person involved, body and soul, so you have to get his body and soul involved. And we'll discuss to the degree that even the body movements we use, the sweeping thumb the sing-song intonation and other classic Talmudic techniques are crucial in bringing the person into the world of Lemuel Gomorrah. So it's important because why? Because he needs to connect to something from himself. It's important because he'll develop a faith in the halachic process. When you say to a person and he's a new entry into Judaism, and uh, you're discussing something with him, and you start to discuss a basic halacha for example, taking a tomato out of a salad on Shabbos it sounds extremely strange to the uninformed mind in terms of Jewish halacha the chances are, and most Jews who haven't learned feel this way that if you don't understand the integrity and the logical compl- complexity of a halacha the chances are you'll think it's a lot of superstitious ritual which is meaningless and stupid. What difference does it make? Rabbi, where does it say in the term that you can't switch a light on and Shabbos? Rabbi, are you telling me that if I take a tomato out of a salad, two witnesses follow me and they see me doing it, they will take me to a very high diving board and get me to jump off and there's no pool underneath? That's problematic probably it's not going to really engender warm, full, warm, respectful attitudes towards Torah whereas if a person learns up the sugya and he sees the amkus and he understands the Shaq and go, wow, these rabbis knew what they were doing and he developed and he munas and the more he sees the Gemara and he starts to measure his intellectual prowess connected with Gemara, he starts to say, do you know what, I'm actually going to perhaps defer my opinion to theirs because they know what they're talking about. Whereas if you don't involve a person in that logical process the chances are he may not develop that. There's just a lot of clever rabbis saying things but who knows when he gets a textual exposure to the brilliance so then he himself changes in his attitude towards how Torah works. Thirdly, it gives him a context of how Alokhi evolves. When a person becomes from, they have no idea. They don't know the difference between Forgive me for belaboring the point, taking your tomato, for those people who didn't understand it when I said the first few times, taking your tomato out of the salad, and what happens if, what should be my reaction if I see a gemara on top of a chumash? Should I be as excited? and the the it can't be mechalek between the two, because I don't know that one is a Hanhoga Toiva, that you shouldn't put something on top of a chumash, and one is an isur skiller. So for them, the same reaction, if they already got, you no, know, eventually you told them it's to get and so now they enter the tomato business and then they see from the distance a Gomorrah on top of a Chumash. And they know what it must mean because they know when there's sorting things you've got to get really serious because it could be death penalty so they see the gemara across the room and they wipe out 16 people as they lunge towards it they go, no! and they take the gemara and they save it so you have to understand that when a person gets a sense of the halakhic reasoning he gets involved in what Torah is about if you leave him on the outside he'll always be a little bit awkward and you remain a handicapped by the chaver for the rest of his life so therefore you need to do it because it tells him, it gives him a sense of involvement, he himself becomes a participant he starts to appreciate the brilliance and he starts to understand the mechanisms of aloha and he doesn't become completely Meshuga. again chances are still rather large that he will but there are other things involved that you can okay now there's another point as well there's another point which is actually a psychological point, a midas point is that when you are being mechanic someone else and we're going to discuss this um, in depth when we actually discuss the teaching of Gomorrah, the natural thing which can occur between the mecharev and the mischarev I'm trying to make you from because I have to tick the dots on my worksheet so I, I have to make you from so now the problem is that you now become um, my victim my project and if it works so then you look up to me as this venerated rabbi. And it creates a very unhealthy balance of dependence of the miskarev on the mekarev. And you, in a sense, you have a person who could be a mature thinking individual, but now in the world of Yiddish Karev, he's a baby. So what can happen is he can create this very inappropriate for his mat- maturity dependence on the mekarev and not, not learn to think for himself by exposing him to Gemara you're exposing him to an ethos of Torah which means your Kasha is important and you have to ask Kasha asking Kasha means that you are not just going to be mevatled in the process that you have a daya granted you have to make sure your daya is a good day and it works out but you have to think for yourself you can't just become a parasite living off your Rebbe who himself may not be capable of doing that so it creates a healthy dynamic between Rabbi and Talmud And finally, in terms of sustainability for Torah, you can't sustain your Torah on Vertlach. It doesn't work. You see, I've seen from experience in South Africa, you see the generation that were raised on inspiring schmoozing. They have nothing to give their children. And you see a high incidence of the children going completely off the derech because they, they, they've got no, they've got no toichin to the Gidishkai. They've gone to one inspiring talk after the next inspiring talk, but that doesn't change the way you view life, and that doesn't change your relationship to Torah. So in fact, Gomorrah is not just an added extra. It becomes the essential ingredient on every of program. Are you following me? Have I convinced you? <laughs> you should be convinced because it's true. So therefore, you have to somehow find a way of overcoming the fact that this ancient text written in funny-shaped pages in Aramaic with uninteresting subject matter and complex logic becomes the most exciting thing you can ever do. If you can achieve that, so then everything else will follow. Just in terms of questions, unless they clarify clarification questions, we can deal with them afterwards. Clarification question? Um, Ask it quickly. Are you Are you going? Are we going to discuss why this has to be the first thing you do in So I'm not, I'm not saying that this is necessarily the first thing you do. I don't necessarily say that as opposed to saying to the guy, come for a Shabbos dinner, you should rather say to him, come for a shtikel shoroshinogah Um I'm not talking about where it fits into the sequence of being with care kind of a person, I'm saying uh, wherever it fits in. In other words, it could be that, for example, we discussed there will be four levels of people we're discussing how to teach. Absolute beginners, which means they're coming on a summer trip or you want to do a Shabbaton in your campus and you want to expose them to what Talmud is all about. Beginners who are involved in a Shio, intermediate where they're getting a bit more of a hang and advanced when they're really on the path. So we'll discuss all of those stages. In terms of your own program you have to think, when it's appropriate by using your sechel. is this person open enough to have a notion of actually getting into textual learning, which is not necessarily always the first stage. Okay, so now let's go on to the actual process of teaching the person. We have to make one thing clear to ourselves and this is one of the greatest faults that occurs in teaching people things that we already want to do, that that we already know about. We have to understand very clearly that teaching a skill that I have is not the same as doing the skill. Let's say for example something very strange let's say for example I was a master underwater hockey player there are people who play the sport what happens is you go underneath the pool with a snorkel which is useless because the snorkel isn't high enough to get to the surface of the water and underneath the ball you play hockey with the puck of course you run out of air so you have to keep on going up for air so let's say assuming that it's a real sport Jeffert. So he was a captain of the team I'll explain to you the brilliance of it later let's say for example <laughs> let, let's say for example that I am the world's the world's gold medalist ho- underwater hockey champion now I can do it now the truth is if I want to teach you how to, to play this game so there's so many things that I do because I learned to do it as a young child my father was the the ultra veteran so I, I because I learned as a young child I didn't rap that it's all about lung control and grip and tactics in terms of making sure you can dribble the pack long enough that your opponent runs out of breath and has to go up and then you score the goal i don't know that because because i've learned it as growing up it just becomes part of my nature we or most of us have learned kumura growing up so when we learn a Sugya, and i say to you i was actually had this discussion with a rebbe yesterday i said to him i really think that what you have to teach the people in your share is to how to learn let me ask you a question rebbe he said yes how do you learn? He says, well, I open up the command and I learn it. So I said, okay, and what do you do? What's the first thing you do, the second thing you do, the third?" He says, no, I open up the command and I learn it. So I said, but what do you do? He says, no, it's me, Mela. Now, if that's your approach to learning, that's very difficult to teach anyone because all you can do is you can learn yourself. So they say, how did you do that? You say, "You should some Open up the command and start reading and it all comes. doesn't help me. The first rule is, Teaching is not learning. You can be a Gernatsum and you can be the worst Rebbe in the world because unless you have the ability to define the process that you go through when you study a Shtickle Gomorrah and explain it to another person in a way that you can understand, he won't be able to follow what you're doing. Learning is a very natural thing to many of us. Teaching requires removing ourselves from actually learning and observing ourselves and understanding what are we actually doing when we learn what is the first thing we do what is the second thing we do how do we approach it if we can do that so then we will be effective in teaching someone else to do that if we can't do that so then we will sit there, ah name of the look no, when you and the guy's looking at you thinking he's meta lunatic he has no yeah. idea what he's done so therefore what you have to do is you have to realize that you have to develop a very clear skill set that you're able to express to a person who has absolutely no experience that, good morning, the first thing you do is you have to open the Gemara. He goes, open the Gemara really? You can't deal with the... Exaggeration. But once you've got there, you have to be able to go through, step by step, teaching him what to do and how to do it. So now, um, therefore, since the goal is to be able to teach your audience how to do something, obviously the level that they're at becomes a central issue. If you have a person that's been learning Gomorrah for four months, and you open up the session by saying, hi, this is a Talmud, on the inner page is Rashi, and then he says, oh, and then he, th- he thinks it's on the left hand side, and then he says, oh, it's so this is Rashi, and he points at Tosis. No, 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 that's choices. I I thought you said on that side. If you're doing that to a person that's been learning already, it's inappropriate. You have to pitch your share at the level of the people that are coming in. So what I'm going to discuss is an approach to teaching four different levels of people. And we're going to start with absolute beginners. Absolute beginners mean that, um, for example, there's a huge amount of summer trips which are run throughout Eretz Israel. And let's say you've been given a position that there's a group of college students that are coming in for a Talmud class. They have no idea what Talmud is. They've never learned to Gomorrah in their lives before. Many of them can't read Hebrew. And what you have to do in an hour is give them the feeling that Talmud is something worthwhile investing in. How do you do that? So that's what I would like to deal with first. How in the world do you engage and enliven a group of people who are completely distant in terms of Limit of Gomorrah. First thing you want to do is they're coming into the class, they have no idea what Talmud is. They don't know where it comes from, they don't understand its role, and they don't know there's such a thing we're assuming as Torah Baal For most people, Torah Baal is a massive Chidush, because all they know about is the Bible. So what you want to do is, you want to create a little bit of drama. You want to create a little bit of dramatic tension. So they're all sitting around you and they're looking at you and you're the Talmud Rabbi and then what you could do, if you want to make it dramatic... Um, can I borrow this from you? Okay, so you, you, you have a chumash handy and you look at the, the crowd and you say, gentlemen, pretend this is a chumash, gentlemen, do you know what this is? And it says the Five Books of Moses in English. So one guy puts up his hand. He's got an earring through his nose and a gigantic tattoo on his chest because he's wearing a low vest. And you can't be disturbed by these things. And he puts up his hand and he says, Rabbi, he says, that's the Bible. You got excellent. I would like you to teach, I would like to teach you the first lesson in Talmud. And he gets what? You say, The Jews do not believe in the Bible. Huh? <gasps> Rabbi, are you a heretic? So And I'll give you an example. He says, tell me, Rabbi, what? You say, do you complete the following verse for me? Because you also know the Bible. He goes, come on, Rabbi, I'm not so sure. An eye for an eye. And lo and behold, he says, a tooth for a tooth. You say, see, you know the Bible. Now, we do not believe in that. What does an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth mean? So he says, it means that if someone does something to me, I should deal with him tit for tit. So I say, let's make it rather literal. You take your right index finger and you go with your friend. His name is always Ruvain. And you take your right index finger and you thrust it into his right eye. You curl it around and you pull out his eyeball with a socket. Now, what happens is then you go in front of a, chu- a court of Jewish judges and they're standing there with their long beards and you are prosecuted by two witnesses and they say, hmm, Shimon, because it's always Shimon. Shimon, what's that in your hand? You go, what? <laughs> I am waving in my hand Shimon Ruvan's only got one eye what's in your hand you go um, aha aha it's Ruvan's eye isn't it so then you have to get one eyed Ruvan it's now a little bit dodgy because he's lost three dimensional perspective so now he starts to go for Shimon the judges say come on hold Shimon back and then an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth Now, as Jews, do we believe that? Absolutely not. But it says in the Bible, good morning. We do not believe in the Bible. What do we believe in? We believe in the synergy, the combination of what's called the written law and the oral law. The combination of the oral law which explains the written law makes an entire document which is has integrity is logical we can understand one without the other makes no sense and therefore when the sages learn the verses of an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth they have a code breaker which we can discuss at a later stage a code breaker which tells me that an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth does not mean literally the eye exchange vicious cycle but rather it means that you have to give monetary compensation and they do that based on a system of approach which is passed down from Sinai until this very day. And that's what the Talmud exposes us to. In other words, the Talmud is the key to the Bible. But the Bible alone for us is a book which has very little relevance in its own right independent of Tershaba Pair. Good. So now you've introduced the... Yeah, I'm I'm demonstrating. (laughs) I'm assuming you guys knew some of that. So... (laughs) you're giving them a context you're giving them a context of of what the role so now they know there's such things thing as Trabah and then you have to be careful because you don't bore them with history but you can mention as an aside that just in terms of the the dateline that the, the 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 basic structure of the, of the Torah of the oral Torah, is called the Mishnah, compiled in around about 190 of the common era by a man called Rabbi Judah the Prince and the Talmud was completed a couple of hundred years later in around about 400 of the common era by two sages of Ravina Ravashi and that's a text we're going to be studying today and they go, thank you Rabbi great so that's part one part one is so you remember the stages part one when you're dealing with absolute beginners is give them a bit of history history of Talmud okay so that's part one part two how do you deal with the text the principle is the last thing in the world you want to happen When you're dealing with a beginner is for him to feel overwhelmed Is for him to feel that gosh this is beyond me what you want to do is you want to be engaged and you want him to feel empowered not disempowered so now if you open up a tsura sadaf in front of him he's not going to feel very comfortable so what I strongly suggest is when you're exposing the person to the text have a tsura sadaf around so you can see what it looks like but do not learn initially from the Torah Sadaf do not learn from the Hebrew because he'll be way too intimidated and he'll be this Nebach that can't understand the word that's going on the page and therefore it's not really going to engender a fond love of Torah for him what you want to do is you want to take an English art scroll if you want you can cut off the footnotes to make it a bit of a challenge take an English art scroll photocopy and get when you learn with him learn from the English so when you're doing the text make sure that it's not intimidating (coughs) use art scroll English so you're taking the text and you're giving him an exposure to it but you're also making him feel that he can contribute that's a crucial point you want it to be an interaction and not a dictation okay so you've given him history now you give out the text you are distributing the pieces of paper to the people and they're starting to look about it but that's not enough in order for this to be effective you have to create meaning You have to create meaning for him the fact that there's an ox and there's a cow has to somehow have a relevance in his life so therefore the next thing you have to make a clear mind of when you're choosing a topic choosing a topic it has to have some type of relevance to his world so that means it may not be the best idea to start with Gomorrah Tamura because there are a few haktamas you need and, um, animal sacrifice is possibly not the first Ashgothic obstacle you want to deal with a person. So the, 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 the most successful Gomorrahs to deal with generally are in the Zikin because they are concepts which people are thinking about anyway. What if we have time what we'll do is we'll try to do a bit of a demonstration from the third paragraph above, which is a simple understanding of what it happens when you leave something. You leave your laptop bag in the corridor of your college campus and someone comes and they trample it and they wreck it. Are they liable for payment? That's something that could occur that's relevant to them. So you give them historical background, you give them out the a text that they can read and accessible and then you choose a suga which has relevance so you want them to understand something that's relevant to their life which will create interest and meaning for them then the next stage is before you say to them guys you got the text you all got your copies okay don't look at them right now what I'd like to do is I'd like to ask you a question so what you want to do is to further foster the meaning is you have to set up a dilemma you have to create a sense of interest by prompting them to think and to ask questions. And this is where you could say something along these lines, which is a very important thing to do in your So you're going to phrase a question. So let's say you're, you're doing the Suge of You don't say to them, okay, let's go. because guy put vessel in the public domain. It's not going to work. You're going to say, what would be? now this is where you have to create an involvement. And let, let, let's just maybe just. Segue for a moment to discuss something which is a clue of every single step of what we're going to be doing now. It's a clue, really in an overall teaching from absolute beginners to absolute advanced of how how that teaching model how does a teaching model work? Do not make the mistake. If you make this mistake in Gomorrah, this is a this is a pikuach Nefish mistake. There's two models of education is probably hundreds of models, but for our purposes there's two models. The classic model of education perhaps we've been exposed to in Western schooling system is like this. This guy is called the teacher and this little fellow is called the pupil. The teacher is big, he's round, he's scary, he's generally very ugly and you've (laughs) you've got the pupil over here who's a nebach, discriminated person that if he misbehaves he gets wrapped on the knuckles. Classic. The reason why this system came about is because of the Industrial Revolution. You needed to produce people for the workforce, so you had to give the new generation information. So this is a very one sided dynamic. It goes like this He's got everything, he's got nothing, gets transferred. That, if you use that model in Gomorrah, you will kill all your Talmudim. And I'll show you how that's actually how that's how the Gemara itself is structured it's the opposite way to the way the Gemara is structured let's rather look at the model of education that you're going to be doing and is mirrored by what the Gemara does in the following way over here you have what's called the Torah it's actually it's it's a more general model this is actually called a stimulus but okay we'll see how the applications in life you've got the Torah then you've got the Talmud over here, and over here you've got the correct response, or we'll call this um, understanding understanding of, of the given Torah. So what happens is as follows. You want to get the Talmud to respond to the Torah. You want him to take the Torah and come out with the correct understanding. That's what you're trying to do. So if this is a Torah and this is a Talmud, and this is what you're trying to achieve, where's the teacher gone? IN THIS MODEL USING SINGTONG INTONATION AND ONE LEFT-HANDED THUMB MOVEMENT IN THIS MODEL APPLYING YOUR Gomorrah SKILLS IN THIS MODEL IN THIS MODEL YOU'VE GOT A TEACHER AND A PUPIL THE ROLE OF THE TEACHER IS VERY CLEAR AND VERY WELL DEFINED IN THIS MODEL WHERE DOES THE TEACHER COME BECAUSE REALLY THE ISSUE OVER HERE AND THIS IS DO NOT FORGET THIS THE ISSUE IS NOT THE TEACHER THE ISSUE IS THE Talmud AND THE TORAH HE HAS TO LEARN TORAH you know Torah Givaldic, but if he doesn't you know Torah doesn't help him so he has to get to the Torah how does he get to the Torah the problem is as follows he is handicapped he's impaired he can't access this so what's the role of the teacher this is where he comes the role of the teacher he's a mediator he acts between the Torah and the Talmud he has to give the, Torah, the Talmud the skills so that he can process his right so he can get to the right response the goal is though the goal is that in the course of time this guy is going to disappear and you're left to the Talmud and the Torah I've just described described visually what I said previously in the introduction this is a model of teaching now if this is a model of teaching so what you want to try to do in your Gemara share is you want to make yourself redundant you want to be the person who speaks the least you want to be the person that's just guiding and facilitating let's go back to our absolute beginners this is the model we're using. So we have got absolute beginners. They don't know that the term, "nechazakad." we want to co- teach them to, co- to respond to it correctly. How do we do that? If We just sit there and teach it, we're falling into the trap of the first model. We want to give them a geschmack and an investment. So what do we do? What do we do with them? What we do is, we say to them, make it a real situation. Now, this is the point we have to involve <sighs> drama and humor. Um, The way you do it is, this is so effective, role-playing. If you can get these guys to role-play, you've got a Gomorrah share which is alive. So you don't say, okay, the, 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 almost as good as this would be, you're in a busy college campus, like we said, and there's a corridor and you need to go to the bathroom for a second, and you leave your laptop uh, bag outside the, your new iPad let's be advanced your new iPad your new iPad you leave it outside the door and you step into the bathroom for one second and you come back and you see a person looking at the iPad and it's in two pieces and um, what happens next so at this point in time you say um, Kyle I want you to be the owner of the, li- the iPad okay Kyle good um, Sagittarian I want you I want you I want you to be the breaker okay now guys so 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 now tell me Kyle, what are you going to say to him whereas you're going to say back to him yeah again this is this is this is real <laughs> now I'm looking at you Sagittarian don't you even know your own name <laughs> you pen in your mouth okay good so now you have just broken his laptop you've just broken his laptop how, well, how do you feel about that sorry Left exactly. So now at this point in time you 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 you're doing the role playing, so you're the teacher in this, in this scenario. So you in this year. What you have to do is you have to egg them on. So that means each each one when when Carl when represents his argument, you kind of reinforce it and you say, What a clumsy oaf How dare you? I agree with you, Carl. That idiot breaking your laptop. Do you know how many months you saved up for that? So then like then you switch sides. So then Sagittarius speaks and you say you're 100% right. How negligent can you be? Shattering your, putting your laptop in the middle. He knew that I could have come there. There's no way in the world. And then you say, okay, I'd like to call on you three guys to be the judges of the case. And you have to discuss amongst yourselves how you rule ruling this case so then they have and they start to argue and then you you egg them on, you egg them on what you've done is you've taken the Mishnah which if you approached it in the classical fashion they would be bored out of their minds not caring about a jug in the public domain and you've made them invested in it so the truth is Kylie is now going to feel responsible for defending the site and they're going to argue out and the judges themselves are going to be investing their own thought process in then you've got your absolute beginner in Talmud, and then once you've done that so the passage is I've done this I've literally done this and you get the study of the Gomorrah you're always going to get the study of the Gomorrah and you'll sometimes get the tain of the Rishonim as well in the Taya. once you've done that you say okay now that, you've, now that you've become involved and you gentlemen have banged on your gavels and issued the legal decision what I would like to do is expose to you what the Torah says so now let's say the judge has decided that in this situation, so the mission says, Potter. The mission says, if you break the judgment of Rabbim you stumbled on it, you're Potter. So let's say the judges came up with Chayef. They understood that Ka was negligent, and sorry, that Ka was, was not negligent, and you are negligent for not looking where you're going, and therefore you're Chayef and comes on the mission and says, Potter so what happens is all the judges and your whole share goes what? that makes no sense that's good that's good the fact that they see something which makes no sense is good because then they get upset by what the Torah says now the beautiful thing is when you do, let's say you do Amaniach is when it says in the Mishnah Patsur La'aloch means Minzchaev According to three out of four Mandaran Because it's talking about by failure or it's talking about the Karen Zabis. In other words, the mission is a tiny akimta, but the truth is that if you actually break something, according to, we don't pass it but according to three out of four opinions, if you break something, you actually archive. So then what will happen is, as you learn the sugya, they'll think hive. you tell them the Mishnah says potter and then you learn the Gemara and the Gemara says when the Mishnah says Pater means hive, they go, yay! and they become emotionally involved in the process which is what you want to get so now you've taken these absolute beginners and you've given them the history, history of Talmud you've shown them a text so that when you've gone through the role play, you can give them a text and they know what they're doing it's relevant to them because it could happen in their day-to-day life you've put across the dilemma and you've got them to role-play it so they become invested now once you've done that what happens is that's session number one if you perform the session successfully so then they're going to come back for lesson number two okay good so now we're going on to lesson number two so lesson number two you got your absolute beginners. They came for an exposure to Talmud, and they got really excited because they saw that they thought about ideas. There was a real life situation, and they saw that the Torah addresses this real life situation. Now, let's say it's lesson number two, three, four, five, six, and now we came to the stage where they're beginners. They're no longer absolute beginners, which means that they have a level of self motivation to study. You no longer have to convince them that learning Talmud is a valuable pursuit. They believe it to a certain degree and they want to advance their skill set. What is the next thing you do? Now we get to the part of trying to convey what you do automatically as a learner into teaching. And the first thing you have to know when you're teaching the actual text. And so now we've got to the stage where... You following me? They bought into it. They want to learn Gemara. So now you can give them a text, and now you can work with them. So it could be at this point in time. It may even be appropriate. You'd obviously have to gauge your guys and see. One last question. Go. On. Yeah, when you actually expose them to the text, are they, are they not like disappointed because? when they actually, in the, in, the, in the role play situation that you described, <coughs> it's amazing because it's something they can visualize, but when now actually sure open up the text and see how many aches it's not that enjoyable anymore. It depends how you, pro- the way you did it. Obviously the way I did it not going to be like that. So okay guys, that was the exciting part, now let's go into the boring part. <laughs> you can say, how many aches akkad? Sorry, uh, the question was, at all fun in games until you actually get to the Gemara. Why don't you do the role playing, it's exciting and it's Kashmak. But now you get to So what's your name? <laughs> Shmu. So Shmu said, you get to the card, you go which is they go, Oh gosh, now the fun ends. So so I agree with you. So you have to know. So what you have to go is let's read these words in the Mishnah. It says a which means a person places a jug. So then you say to 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 Richard, Richard, does it only mean a jug? Or could it mean something else so Richard says well no it just means a small object which is breakable you go excellent do you know what you've just done you've just unlocked the secret of the eternity of Torah because since history and geography change when we look at the text we don't look at the details but the principles behind it a jug doesn't have to be a jug it's a description of a certain size object which is particularly fragile and then what you've done is when they read the text they say ah these things are just chlalim dressed up in protein. but you, you have to you have to feel you have to feel energized in other <laughs> words if you feel like when you move from the rail there, <laughs> oh my gosh but if you feel yes ok what about if they came on the same thing as the Mishnah the great thing about if you're teaching them in Yach there's a Makhlekes <laughs> so the mission when it says Potter, it either means Chayev or means Potter. So whichever they did, and they came. There's going to be a view in the Gemara that opposes them, and a view in the Gemara that agrees them. So especially when you've got two parties, so both will feel validated. So that's actually the art of choosing the right suga. So w- when 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 you when you're serious about influencing Klal Yisrael and making sure that the olam the Ulam of Jews learns Torah, so when you're learning through your with your regular story Keep an open mind that, oh, this would be a great Sugi to teach the beginners. So you can already build a whole repertoire of which sugi would be appropriate. I'm not following you.: No, what I mean is when I say Kaakadu, they got the article version in front of you. And they're reading the one that lays to rest a jar in a jug in a pitcher in, in the public domain. You, you, you don't, you don't read it. You may read in Hebrew for your own, just to give you a little bit of an authentic feel, but they can read in English. Okay? Good. Vita. So now we're going on. There was absolute beginners. Now let's go to beginners. Beginners is a different parasha Beginners is a different parasha You've overcome the basic obstacle of with being unfamiliar they've got the historical background now they motivated to learn the text and now what you want to do is you want to give them textual skills so that they can get continued fulfillment in learning so what I strongly suggest you do is the following uh, th- again what I'm going to do now is I'm going to teach you the way I would teach them based on a system that what I've done is I've taken a lot of Sifra uh, HaKlalim. Uh, there are Sifra HaKlalim which actually discuss explicitly how to learn Gomorrah. The, probably the most explicit one is a small safer brought out by Kess Lebevitz called Daikav Gomorrah. Um And it goes actually through, when you learn Gomorrah, do this, then do this, then do this, then do this. So based on that and, and whenever I get an opportunity and I see a clue in a traces or in a restaurant of how to learn, I always make a note of it so that I have a whole um, rule book of wh- how learning should occur. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to teach you what I, the system that I've got. That doesn't mean that you have to now adopt the system lock, stock and barrel, but I do think it would be very advisable, if not this system, come up with your own system based on your own ideas. So I'm going to p- give you over the system and I'm going to give you over a few educational pointers in terms of the system. What I've done is I've structured in such a way that it's cutesy, meaning it's, it's, got, a, it's got a fun side to it and it's not too dour and serious. So what we started with is as follows. You've got the guys and now they're ready to learn and they're ready to learn seriously. And you say, gentlemen, before we begin learning, we have to know two things. We have to know, firstly, who is the ultimate? Thank you. It came time yesterday, as you'll soon see. We have to know who is the ultimate friend of the Talmudic student and perhaps more importantly who is the ultimate enemy we will begin with a friend and we'll illustrate it with this innocent glass of water do you know do you know my dear teachers that water has an uh, halachic exception every other using the wide arched thumb every other liquid when imbibing it, one must declare a benediction of gratefulness to the creator water is an exception to the rule that this only applies when you are thirsty now picture the scene, the scene is that you've been lecturing in front of a uh, semi-asleep group of people for 45 minutes and your throat is parched and dry and someone miraculously brings you a cup of water, you look at the cup of water and it is like Thank you, thank you, thank you. And you look at the cup of water and it is like gold. It is dew. It is... Oh my gosh. What a pleasurable experience. Now, if you're dealing with university students, then you can say the other side of the marshal. Why else, um, Robert, would you be drinking water if not because you're thirsty? And Robert goes, because yeah, you hung over. Excellent, Robert. <laughs> well done! <laughs> Tell me Robert, what is the difference? What is the difference between what is the difference between um, drinking water when you are hung over and drinking water when your throat is part? So Robert says, Well Again, I can only do American accents for three words, so we'll switch back to South African. Robert says, Robert says, Well, when you're drinking water with a parched throat, it's a pleasurable experience, but when you're drinking it and you're just doing it to hydrate yourself, it's mm, iffy. If you would know the word parav, it's a parav. Um, You say, well, that is interesting because the Torah is compared to water. Water has no intrinsic taste. The reason why you only make a benediction on water when you're thirsty is because then it tastes good If if you're not thirsty and it doesn't taste good, you don't make a bracha because it doesn't have a taste Torah doesn't have an intrinsic taste, it's water IF you're thirsty, it's delicious If you're not thirsty, it's nu nu You can have an aside, you can discuss the 16 uses of nu, the nu, nu nu But that's... we haven't even got into thumb manipulation, we've got a lot to do um, so, so you've got so. Therefore, what thirst is to water? What thirst is to water? Something is to tire. Let's see if you can fill in the missing word. What thirst is to water? Wide repeated arc. What thirst is to water? What is to tire? Hello, come on, you've learned it. You can do it. No, no, almost halfway there. He said, Quest, halfway there. <laughs> there you go. So, what first is to water questions are to Torah. If you've got a kasha that you've been bothered by for the last three years, since the last time you learned your vomit, and you suddenly have the terrors, you go, <laughs> I can't believe it. If you have the kasha, and then you get the terrors on the spot, you say, hmm. Huh? The the kasha, the question, develops a thirst for knowledge. The deeper the question, the thirst you become the more pleasurable experience. Your ultimate friend is your question. Now when you're doing this to them, you're breaking an entire paradigm of how they view religion. They view religion as a theocracy where you're told what to do and you do it. And you're suddenly breaking that paradigm you're saying, this religion is about asking questions. Which is a great subliminal thing to be doing. So now you're saying you have to believe in your questions. you have to ask and ask and ask because that will open up the gates of knowledge. He's your ultimate friend. Now let's discuss the ultimate enemy. The feared foe of the Talmudic student that prays behind every word ready to pounce. His quest is relentless. He will not leave you alone even for one millisecond. Who is the ultimate enemy of the Talmudic student? laziness is pretty close uh, silence <laughs> <laughs> you have to be really advanced to you know that art scroll is the ultimate in the <laughs> <laughs> it's like that, that, that's advanced class this stage after the beginners the art scroll is still their friend close oh excellent unbelievable you're brilliant what's your name <laughs> so the ultimate Nice name. The ultimate, the ultimate enemy of the Talmudic student is Vagueness. Vagueness means, vagueness is it, 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 it's quite prevalent in the yeshivish world. It generally comes with exaggerated body movements and standard yeshivish phrases. That means you, you have... And, and often you can have an entire two-hour long, two long chavrusa where all anyone said to anyone is nothing but it's couched in terms that it seems like you're really learning. Ah! vice noises. ice episode not in! didn't come to No, no no. no, no! No one knows what they're talking about. So that's called vagueness. What you want to do is you want to avoid vagueness at all costs. So your ultimate friend is questions and your ultimate enemy is vagueness. How do you avoid vagueness? How do you find him? How do you track him down? And how do, when you find him, decimate him, eliminate him, and destroy him? So what you want to do is this is where... You want to know what the, um, the three pillars of textual understanding are. There are three pillars of textual understanding. Um, and of course, those three pillars are encapsulated in that classic word, Structopop. So now, you all know the word. You've heard it many times before. So, structure pop. What, what, what in the world is structure pop? So what you're doing over here is, again, you don't have to use structure pop, but you're making a funny word which has a meaning to it. Structure pop represents the three vital principles needed for proper textual analysis. And they are structure. Puh, stands for powerful questioning. And finally, stands for paradigm shift so if you want to understand the text properly you have to have the structure clear you have to have, engage in the process of powerful questioning and you have to perform the art of the paradigm shift what are those three things? it's that, that, a mystery I have no idea how the A got <laughs> in there I mean, makes no sense there are those, there's a Gerser which has a U instead of an A which would make more sense so so Pop. Stra- what is Structor It's as follows. It what you want to do is you want to build out, you want to, you, you now this is the starting point of we learning what we do when we when we when we process a sugya. The first thing you do when you process a suya is uh, the truth the truth is uh, from an educational perspective, I just I'm doing this, I know I'm doing this extremely fast, um, but I have orders. So, from an educational perspective, there are three. There are three um, stages to your cognitive processes. It starts off English, uh, English. It starts off with something called input. Um, then there's process, and then there's output or expression. Um, what happens is when you when you when you want to process information. The first thing you have to do is the input, then you have to process and then you have to have output. For example, <coughs> there's, a, there's something, I have to understand something about something. So, um, mm, marshal, my mother-in-law walked in the door. So that's, I see her walking through the door, that's input. Then there's processing. Processing means you have to logically process what happened. So, so your mother-in-law walking through the door is illogical it's, uh, it, it's, bi- it's semi illogical. So, so you process and you come to the conclusion that she should not be here um, <laughs> so that, that's processing and, and, and output is actually you put her out so <laughs> you're the point is that you have to when, you <laughs> when, <laughs> when you're dealing with a text you have to make sure that you're absorbing it right to absorb a text right you have to make sure that there are no missing points in your text in order to do that, you have to apply faithfully three stages. You have to be able to number, label, and order. And this forms structure. Structure is what's called a lower order thinking skill. It's a purely reading comprehension, which makes sure that the information that you need to think about is all absorbed correctly. That's called structure. So you have to make sure that when you're getting through the text, you have to be able to number, label, and order it. This, of course, is going to destroy vagueness. Number means as follows. You read through a, for example, we'll apply this to the Mishnah. You read through a Mishnah. You have to know how many parts are to the Mishnah. That's called number. Label means I have to know the function of those parts. And order means I have to know why were those parts Cited in that order. This, um, uh, uh, hmm, uh, uh, we're running out of time, second by second, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off by what I think I'll do is we'll we'll start. This is this structure pop is is a general principle of all textual analysis, whether it be Mishnai's Gemara, Rishonim, Machronim, etc. What we're going to do is we're going to use Structapop in the context of a Mishnah. And in the context of a Mishnah, Structapop becomes the 353 Mishnah Analysis Technique. Of the 353 Mishnah Analysis Technique, um, we have two options. Um, Either I can just tell you the principle. Well, alternatively, we can look at a Mishnah and I can show you how it's applied in the Mishnah. Of those two options, which one would be preferable to you? Who wants the inside the Mishnah, which may take a little bit longer? Raise your hands. Who wants uh, just the Daniel theory and you'll figure out the application yourself? Okay, so we'll do the Mishnah. so next week what we'll do is we'll try to do the Mishnah and then we'll apply this and we'll try to get through Gemara and then we'll see. You. Thank you, Rabbi Isai. sign. you, Do you ever get the questions
1: <laughs> right away of how
0: there are makolkas? Let's give it to